You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. It is Genesis chapter 32. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some Bibles around this building, blue Bibles under the chair. Uh, we'll have the scripture on the overhead as well. But we're going to look at Genesis chapter 32 as we continue our series, The Gospel Story. And it's really about finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And it's been fun for me. It's been fun to go on this journey. It's been fun to study and find out where do we see Jesus in the Old Testament. Several, several years ago, uh, I was in a place where I was running from God. And I knew the only way that I could get out of the running, the only way that I could make a difference in my life was to surrender to him. But I wasn't going there. I wasn't going to surrender. I was going to do what I wanted to do. And some of you have heard this before. What happened is I, I ended up in the hospital. I ended up in the hospital first time with a broken leg, the second time with another broken leg. Those were only a few months apart. I was running, man. I was running. I didn't want God to get me. I didn't want God to catch up with me. But how many know that is impossible? So if you're a runner this morning, just beware. Uh, God knows where you are. He can get you. He's, uh, he's really fast. And so uh, you need to know that he cares for you. And the thing that he looks for in our lives is he's looking for us to surrender. He's looking for us to, to give our life to him. All that we have, all that we are to give to him. And the reason I share this as an introduction this morning to Genesis 32 is because it's here we find out that God will be and has been dealing with Jacob this very issue. This issue of surrender in his own life. Chapter 32 is a turning point. It's actually a turning point for a con man, and that's really what he was. The word Jacob, the very word meaning, is a supplanter, a con man, uh, a circumventer. That, that's what the name Jacob means. So it's in this chapter we find Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son, Jacob. What's happening here is God is going to put him in a place where he can get a hold of him. And I, I don't know, there might be, I just have this feeling, there might be a few folks there this morning uh, where you've looked at all your options and you're finding out that the room is closing in on you. You're finding out that there is actually no way out except through the door labeled surrender. And this is exactly where God wants us to be. This is where God put Jacob. In fact, he wrestles with him. In fact, he cripples him so that after this incident, he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. And I know, like me, it was the most painful time in my life, but it was the best time in my life. And this is what Jacob is about to experience. And by the way, all those things that God puts us through, where he brings us to that place of surrender, is necessary for you and me. Because by nature, we are runners. By nature, we probably look more like Jacob than we look like Abraham. I know that would be true for me. Do you know the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He disciplines. The Lord loves you. There'll be discipline in your life. Again, my instinct is to run from that. I mean, to run from pain. It's just natural. It's just what your flesh wants to do. I want to avoid God's discipline to try and foolishly hide from God. But again, that is impossible to do. Now, for 20 years, Jacob has been outside the land of promise. It's the land that God had given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the sons 
of Jacob and really ultimately became and becomes the nation of Israel. So he's been outside the land of promise, but not outside the hand of promise. And remember that, that God will always be with you, that he's always close to you. Even when we're rebellious, even when we run, even when we need to be disciplined, uh, the hand of the Lord is on those that love him. So now he's coming back. Jacob is coming back into the land of promise. He's in a place called Gilead. He's going to go down. If you want to picture a map with me, he's going to go down and he'll cross over the Jabbok River. Today, that's in Jordan, the, the country, the nation of Jordan. It's a tributary of the Jordan River. It actually runs about 22 miles into the Jordan River, about halfway between the Galilee and the Dead Sea. But he has this big, big problem. Uh, he's facing a huge problem because he's between Laban, his uncle, who he's running from, and Esau, his brother, none of which he has a good relationship with. So you could say he's in no man's land. He's caught in between. He's caught in between Padam Haram, which is the modern-day Iraq, and the Promised Land. So I don't know if you've felt that before, where you've been in limbo. You're not sure exactly where you are. You're trying to get your spiritual GPS put together, and all you find out is you're between two enemies. That, that's an uncomfortable place to be. So he's in a very, very difficult place, a father-in-law who chases him down in Genesis chapter 31, and a brother who wants to kill him. He is between Iraq and a hard place right now. That's what he's doing. He's between a rock and a hard place, and he is desperate. And Jacob is very, very scared. He's absolutely afraid. He makes no bones about it. And God, um, God has allowed this to happen. And sometimes we wonder, God, why do you have me in this place? Why, why are you uh, pressing in on me? Why do the odds look so horrible for me? But God oftentimes will do that. And I would go so far to say that God set the whole thing up. I would go so far to say that God knows what it takes to bring you to a place of surrender. In fact, the things that God does in your life, he custom makes just for you. Aren't you happy that he, he knows your weaknesses, he knows your vulnerabilities, he knows your strengths, he knows all those things about you. What does he do? He custom makes this, uh, these circumstances, this environment that presses you. Because he knows inwardly what's going on in your heart. And so you start in Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. It says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, This is God's host. And he called the name of the place Mahanim. And Mahanim is a, is a great name. You can say that. You do a little of that, and you're fine with it. It means double camp. That's what it means. What he's saying here is there are others that are camped here. He's letting everyone know, hey, we aren't the only ones camping out here. There are angels here, too. Now, I, I don't know for sure, but uh, I don't know if anyone in the Bible sees more angels than Jacob. I just was studying this thing. Wow, this guy runs into angels all the time. And, and when he says Mahanim, what he's saying is a, a matter of fact. It's like, yep, that happens all the time. That happens to me all the time. I, I see angels all the time. And, and this is like regular stuff for him, for Jacob. And, and it was just another occurrence. So we're, we're, we're here, and Jacob is on his way out of the land in Genesis 28. And now, 
20 years later, he's on his way back in. So for those 20 years, he works for Laban, his, his father-in-law, or his, uh, his uncle, excuse me. He works for him, for Leah, for Rachel. Uh, Laban just messes him up. I mean, keeps adding on the years to serve. So we're not sure. Now, listen, I'm not sure why angels show up again here. Um, if, you, if you look, if you want to calculate, it's not explained here. But I, but I think there is a reason. Uh, I think it is to let us know that this land is very special to God. Because if you notice, there are angels on the borders. That, that's what it says. Angels are on the borders. When he leaves, there's angels. When he comes back, there's angels. I think it's just God's way of saying this land is the promised land. This land is the land I'm giving you. This land is special land. And we see that. And I believe that's been true from day one until now. I mean, whenever I think about how special the land of Israel is, I think about, obviously, the trips we've taken, many of you have taken to, to the land of Israel. But I also think about one particular moment in Israel's history. It was in 1967. It was called the Six-Day War. I don't know if any have studied that, but I'm going to tell you what. There were more miracles in those six days than probably Israel saw in a thousand years. In fact, those Jewish soldiers said, I saw angels. I saw angels here, and I saw angels there, and I saw angels behind me and before me. They testify, and they have no reason to make stories like this up, but they testify of angels. And there's a battle. This Six-Day War was a battle between Israel and the Arab states. And the Arab states were Jordan, Syria, and Egypt. Sorely outnumbered. Israel was outnumbered tremendously. I mean, the odds were just not for them until God intervenes, until Perizim, the great outpouring of grace where God goes before and makes a way, just like he does for his chosen people today, that's you and me. That's what he does. He makes a way. I think of one story in particular, and I just got to tell it because I love it. It's uh, a man named Eli Cohen. Eli Cohen is a spy for Israel. I mean, he is a legitimate spy who speaks the language, who speaks Syrian, and he, he infiltrates the high ranks of Syria, and they're right next door to Israel. At that time, they owned the Golan Heights. They don't now, but they did then. And so here, Eli would be invited with these dignitaries, these generals, to go up and stand on the Golan Heights and look toward Israel and be so proud and say, this is our land, we took it from Israel. And, uh, but he noticed one day that it was so hot out there, there was no shade, it was probably 110 degrees, we'd been in that kind of heat. And so he just suggests to the generals, hey, wherever there's barracks, just build eucalypt, uh, plant eucalyptus trees, and in a few years you'll have the shade that you need. And so that's exactly what they did. They said, wow, that's a really good idea. Really good idea. Fast forward about 10 years. They're getting ready to go into war, the Six-Day War. And what do the generals of Israel do? They say this, wherever you see eucalyptus trees, bomb it. Hit it. Hit it hard. And that's exactly what happened. God just made a way. And he makes a way. It says so in Psalm 34. It says, the angels of the Lord encamped around those who fear him, and he delivers them. 
So angels are mentioned. Did you know that's 34, for those that like numbers, 34 books of the Bible, 17 books in the Old Testament, 17 books in the New Testament, even split there. And then they seem to have two primary purposes. If you're taking notes, you can write number one, the most important, is they stand in the presence of God and they worship him. Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That, that, that we see in scripture. And the second purpose is they serve God's people at God's bequest. In, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, you know where it says ministering angels. Ministering angels. I, I don't know how much you think about this. Uh, I think there are some people that think way too much about this. Because they see angels everywhere. I, I'm not that far over there. Uh, I, I do believe in angels. I believe in guardian angels. I, I believe that we live in a spiritual world that we see the physical. We don't always see the spiritual. I, I believe in guardian angels because I'm alive today. That's how come I believe in guardian angels. They worked overtime when I was growing up. And I've seen it in people's lives. I've seen God's hand, miraculous hand, work in people's lives. Now, what I want you to do is listen to verses 3 through 5. 3 through 5 says this, and Jacob, and by the way, I'm in the ASV version. I, I mixed it up for you. I just thought, you guys are too used to NIV and everything. I just, I'm throwing in the ASV. It's, it's a little more King Jamish. So if it sounds that way, it's because it is. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the field of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye say unto my Lord Esau, that's his brother, Thus saith thy servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban, stayed until now, and I have oxen and asses and flocks and men servants and maidservants, and I, haven't, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in thy sight. There's one word in there I know why we use NIV, so I just figured that out. Um, <laughs> so there, 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 there are animals. <laughs> Jacob is wanting to appease his brother Esau. That, that's really what this is all about. Jacob knows this. And so why does Jacob, who, ini who initiates the contact with his brother, why does he do it? Well, Jacob knows that there's going to be no peace between he and his brother unless he resolves an issue that took place 20 years ago, and that's where he cheated his brother out of his birthright. He was a cheat. He cheated him flat out in Genesis 27. And this is the thing. When I read this, uh, I'm always amazed because God's teaching us something all the time. And I think what he's teaching us here is unresolved issues will always come back. Unresolved issues will always come back. They'll always come back. They might come back in different forms, but you are still you until those issues get resolved. And, and God has a way of doing that. And don't you just love that about God? I mean, he just doesn't give you a free hall pass. He just doesn't say, go ahead. He cares too much for you. So he always comes back to this place. It's interesting that he calls his brother. Notice what he says about his brother. He, he says, my Lord, my Lord. They're twins. My Lord. My Lord, what's he doing? He's buttering him up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Aside from flattery being part of his character, that's really part of Jacob's character, he learned this from spending 20 years with his uncle Laban. Laban was a schmoozer. I mean, how does he get, how does he get Jacob to stay 20 years? 
because he kept schmoozing him. And he stays 20 years. So he's learned the, the tactic. Laban flattered to get what he wanted in business, to get what he wanted in family, to get what he wanted in money. Now look at verse 6 here. What does verse 6 say? And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, uh oh, we came to thy brother Esau, and moreover, he cometh to meet you, or thee, and 400 men with him. Yikes. This isn't going the way that he wants it to go. He's thinking, oh my gosh, he's coming. He's going to collect. That's not what Jacob really wanted to hear, and I'm sure he's thinking, I'm a dead man walking. I'm a dead man walking. He's coming. And he's coming after me, and he's coming after everything I have and everything that I love. He's coming after me. I know there's times we felt like this. There are times we feel like this. Like, man, all the odds are stacked against me, and they're coming after me. And so we go on a little further in verses 7 and 8, and and, um, it says this. It says, thus saith my servant, or excuse me, it says this. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and was distressed. Do you think? You know? I mean, he was distressed. He's divided, and then he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. Now, that's right now. Later, you find out he divides them into four companies. So he's creating quite a buffer here, folks. That's what he's doing. If Esau comes to one company and smites it, then the company which is left shall escape. Do you you see what he's doing here? He's dividing his people. He's dividing his wealth, first into two camps. Again, like I said, later into four. He anticipates that his brother will kill the first camp and the second camp will escape. So let me ask you a question. Which camp do you think Jacob's in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in the second in the far back. I mean, he's a sissy. He, he's, 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 he's actually using his children and his wife as buffers. Uh, And so he does this. He puts them back. And then you go and you read verses 9 through 12. Watch what happens here. And Jacob said, and in the translation it says, Then, and then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and the God of my father Isaac, O Jehovah, who saidest unto me, Return unto thy country. You told me, Lord, to come here, and to thy kindred. And I will do thee good. I am not worthy of the least of all thy loving kindnesses and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan. And now I am become two companies. Deliver me. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, God, lest he come and he smite me the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Sound familiar? It is. It's familiar to you. It's familiar to me because it is a prayer of desperation. We've all prayed this prayer. If you haven't, you have not lived. If you haven't prayed this prayer, you have no sense of fear in your life. And everybody does. And so it might have been different. The words might have been different. And we might look at, look at Jacob here and say, God, what is this guy doing, man? It's, he's just really. Listen, all of us have done this. 
Because when you read this, this is the first recorded prayer that we have from Jacob. Now, he might have prayed before, probably, but it's the first recorded prayer. So fear drives Jacob to his knees. And before we judge him again, before we judge him, remember he isn't much different than you are, much different than I am. It seems that when we are at the end of our rope, when we're facing adversity, when our wall is to the back, to the, to our, when our backs are to the wall, it's that prayer. Then, then we pray. Says, I like that. And then he prayed. And then he prayed when everything else was exhausted, all the other resources. It says, and then, oh God, oh God, we pray. And like Jacob, we happily go our merry way at times. Um, I got this. I got this all figured out. I can do this until we run out of options, until we find ourselves stuck between a rock and a hard place. And then this prayer gets it's kind of like it gets squeezed out of you. It's like your very fiber. It's it's there. You've been created in the image of God. You're Imago Dei. And so you've been created that way. But there's something deep in your DNA that knows you have to respond to God, but only happens when you get squeezed. That's when the real juice comes out. That's when the real thing comes out, pulp and all. It just gets squeezed out, and that's what happens. We realize that we need to depend not on our own certainty, rather God's sovereignty, and I can't stress that enough. I cannot stress that enough in what we face today. It's interesting to me that even Jacob's incredible wealth, and, uh, and he was, it was incredible, there's no question that he had a, a ton of wealth. It didn't give him a peace of mind. The things that he put around him, the people that he put around him, didn't give him a peace of mind. He was not immune to hardship, and he wasn't immune to the fear that comes with hardship. So could it be that God allows or prescribes a steady amount of adversity in our lives? Could that be true? So that we would depend on him? That he, 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 just, he just squeezes and squeezes. And now if you look at Jacob's prayer, in fact, the ingredients of Jacob's prayer are, uh, are, are I would model it. I mean, the, this is a great prayer of desperation. If you're in a place of desperation, you're not sure what to do. This is a great prayer because he follows some wonderful principles here when he prays. And so if you want to model it, you can. Number one, what does he do? He recounts the past always good to say God you are the creator of the universe you are the God and father of my my fathers and, and you are the one that has kept me you are the one that has blessed me in fact when you look at a prayer in Acts chapter 4 verse 24 very similar to this prayer it's a very it's a Jewish prayer it's a very similar prayer he calls God by his covenant name so he's serious the covenant name he uses here is the word Jehovah in our Bibles, it might, your might, yours might say Jehovah, probably says God, but it's by the covenant name of Jehovah who he has, re, he, who he recounts the past, the, his, the history that they have together. Um, I, I, I like to do that every now and again. I like to say, God, you brought us out of this land. God, and it's good. It's a good practice for you to remember. Why? Because when you remember, it's directly connected to the attribute of thanksgiving it's directly connected to the attribute of gratitude 
because you look back and you say, wow, look where you've brought me, Lord. Look what is done. You are the God of the universe. Psalm 2 talks about God being the God of the universe. Number two, he recalls the promise. I like that. He recalls the promise made to him and his fathers. Now, if, if you have been given a promise by God, and, and, I, and I'm praying that you have, I'll say this, if you haven't ever received a promise from God, from his word, I'm going to ask that you just really seek that promise. That you say, Lord, what is your promise for me today? Speak to me. Speak to me. I'm listening. Tell me what your promise is. Because I think a lot of us walk a wayward life because the promises we haven't secured. They're not the anchor of our life. Other things become the anchor of our life. What should be the anchor in our life are God's promises. Would you say amen to that? So you need to recite those promises. What does he promise to your family? I mean, I think every day when I pray for my family, when I pray for others' family, when I pray for friends, I say, God, you promised us that you would be with us. You promised us that your presence is with us, that you go with us. And just reciting God's promises. Don't be afraid to do that. Recall the promises of God. He does that. Number three, realizes his unworthiness. That's a good thing to do here. What does he do? He acknowledges that he's a sinner. He just says, man, I'm, I'm undone. I'm a sinner. Proverbs 28, 13, and 14 talks to us about being undone, that all of us are are undone. We're all sinners standing before God. And then what happens is the last thing he does. He requests deliverance. He gets to it. He goes through one, two, and three. He gets to four and he says, help me. Please help me. So what does he do? He confesses his faults. He tells the Lord how he feels. Now I want to say something here about this kind of prayer. This isn't a positive confession. This is an honest confession. And sometimes we have this notion that when we go before God, we better say everything that's positive. And when I talk to the people around me, I know that we have to use discretion, but we say everything positive. Listen, uh, God's listening. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you face. Listen, it's better to make a negative confession and be honest than make a positive confession and be dishonest. That you just say, here I am. The Lord, listen, the Lord knows that we are made of dust. He doesn't put a lot of high expectations on dust. He doesn't. He knows. He knows what you're going through and, and that you can come to him and say, Lord, I confess these things to you. Now read with me in verses 13 through 21. Get a little more King James here. It says, and he lodged there that night, and he took of that which he had with him a present for Esau, a gift to Esau, his brother. Listen to this, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals, and he delivered them into the hands of his servants, Every drove by itself. What he's doing here is he's going he's gonna to saturate Esau with waves and, and waves of kindness. And he said unto his servants, pass over before me and put a space betwixt the drove and the drove. So let, him, let it sink in. Give him a gift and back off a bit and let him, let him sink in. Let him count. 
what he got. And then send another one. And then send another one. And he says, do that. And he commanded them foremost, saying, when Esau, my brother, meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, whose art thou, and whither goest thou? Whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, they are thy servant Jacob's. He uses that word again. Lord, servant. He, he, he calls him that. Calls him that. It is a present, a gift, sent unto my Lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. And he commanded also the second and the third and all that followed the drove, saying, On this matter, or on this manner, shall ye speak unto Esau. When ye find him, and ye shall say, Moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. <laughs> hey, Esau, he's still way back there. He's still way back there. For he said, I am, I will appease him with the present or the gift that goeth before me. And afterward, I will see his face pre-adventure. He will accept me. Oh, please, God, I'm hoping he accepts me. So the present passed over before him, and he himself lodged that night in the company. There's a lot of stuff said there, but the bottom line is, I don't know if you were counting, but the gift he gives Esau is 580 animals. Makes you wealthy immediately. I mean, he hit the jackpot. This is better than the lottery. He hits the jackpot. It's 580 animals total was gifted to Esau. Jacob got very, very wealthy while he was with Laban, so he's able to do this. So what is Jacob doing? He's softening the blow. He's trying to buy his favor, save his neck. And now, think of his prayer when he asks God to deliver him. I want you to just go back for a moment. Remember what he says? Oh, deliver me, God. You're the God of the universe. Deliver me, deliver me. Did he really believe that? I mean, I'm, I'm just asking. Did he believe that God would deliver him? Because if he truly, totally trusted that God would do that, this wouldn't be happening. So, so there's, this, there's this thing here. Maybe he does believe him. Maybe there's a portion of him that believes. But there sure is a lot of wrangling going on here. doesn't sound like a, a man of faith. It doesn't sound like a lot of faith has built up in his heart. I have to say I, I really relate to this. You know, I, I relate to this guy. I mean, I'm looking at my circumstances and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, Jesus. I mean, I, God, I, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. The prayer of the father in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 9. When uh, the father brings his demoniac son to Jesus, Jesus looks at the father and says, do you believe I can do this? And he goes, I believe, but boy, oh boy, help me, why don't? Help me, why? That's an honest prayer. Just to be able to say, God, I, I don't, I, I'm, ha I'm struggling here. I don't have much faith, uh, but I'm struggling. I think we do this. We set a, a burden before the Lord, and then we pick it up. We set a burden before the Lord, and we pick it up. We set a, a burden before the Lord, and we pick it up. How many times do we do that? Especially with the things that we care for the most. I think I've probably done that more with my kids and my grandkids than I've done with anything on the planet. Saying, Lord, here they are. Oh, my gosh, no. But whenever I give them to the Lord, I'm giving my children over to the biggest shoulders in the universe. When I take them back, I'm putting them on the weakest shoulders of the universe. It's me. My frailty, my brokenness, all these things. That when I give, I say, Lord, I want to do this. And I know I've done it again and again and again. Help me where I don't believe. 
God, I'm in this progression here. I'm in this journey. And some days I just feel like I can conquer the world and I'm full of faith. And the next day I turn around, see what's happening in my life. And the faith there just runs right out. Lord, help me where I don't believe. I want to give it to you. I want you to carry it. Now, here's what we've waited for. Here's the sermon title. Here's the uh, the crescendo of the story of chapter 32 is a wrestling match. And we have this wrestling match we've waited for. And it's in Genesis chapter 32. And it goes on for about 10 verses. I'm going to read it to you. It says this. And he rose up that night and he took his two wives and his two handmaidens and his 11 children. He passed over the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them over the stream and he sent them over that which he had. And and Jacob was left alone. Listen to that. And there wrestled a man. Some of you have the word man in capital letters in your translation. I'll tell you why in just a moment. Wrestled with a man uh, until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, his hip. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was strained as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, Jacob said, I will not let you go except you bless me. You must bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob, that's his name. And he said, thy name shall be called no more, Jacob. It shall be called Israel. Here's where you get it. For thou hast striven with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? The end of the, that's the end of the inquiry right there. And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and my life has been saved or preserved. And the sun rose up upon him as he passed over Penu, and he limped upon his thigh. Therefore, the children of Israel eat to this day, to this day, they eat not the sinew of the hip, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, Until this day, because it touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. That is an incredible wrestling. It's the only wrestling match I think we have in scripture. I'm I'm thinking you can check on that one. But but I think it is. And so what happens is he goes through and passes over the river Jabbok, which today is Arca. The river Arca means the blue river. And it runs from up in Jordan, 22 miles, and flows about halfway between uh, the Dead Sea and uh, Galilee, right in the middle of the Jordan. And so that's what happens. This area, if you were ever there, some of you saw a taste of it when you were there. Incredibly hilly, incredibly treacherous. Uh, Barrancas, um, sharp rocks. It's just a, it's just a no man's land. It really is. It's it's out in the middle of, of, of nowhere. So this area is hilly. It's isolated. You go there to do something. You go there to hide out. Similar to what David did in the hills that were just a little bit south of him. Uh, he went and hid out there. You go to these kind of places. So he goes and he hides out. But notice what it says here. It says, and Jacob was left alone. 
that he was left alone, a place that was isolated, a place that God does a deep and life-altering work. How many know that when God works in your life, it's hermano, hermano. It's hermana, hermana. It's brother, brother, sister. So it's, 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 it's you. It's you. You, you, don't, you don't have anywhere to run and hide. So what does he do? Sometimes he takes you to a terrain that's isolated, that seems desolate. Now picture that terrain in your own life if you look back. Maybe that terrain was addiction. Maybe that terrain was death. Maybe that terrain was a broken relationship. But, but it, it is an isolated place, and it feels isolated. And you say, God, I'm here in this isolated place. What have you do with me? And he says, I have you where I want you because this is where you'll listen. This is where you can hear my voice. And in those deep places are life-altering works. So the question is, are you there now? Are you going through? Those that are online, are you going through? Please know this, you're not abandoned by God. may seem like you're abandoned by others, but you're not abandoned by God. He has you here to do something that is eternal, that is significant, that will last beyond these days and in fact will probably touch your family and your children and your children's children and beyond. That's the kind of work that God was up to here in Jacob's life. He was going to do that work. It says a man wrestled with him. Well, uh, you see that word man, some of, how many have a capitalized man in your Bible? I don't know how many, some, in some it's capitalized, he wrestled with a man. In most translations, the word man is capitalized, and so what we do believe here, most theologians, is this is a theophany or a Christology, a, a, a Christ, Christoph, how do I say that, Mark? Christophany, a the, theophany or Christophany, all right? It's both, it's the same thing, it's the same thing. It is actually a pre-incarnate Jesus, it's Jesus wrestling with him. In Hosea chapter 12, he tells us that. Hosea 12 says this is God shows up, man. So whenever you're in the Old Testament and you're reading a place where there's this intervention by, uh, it could be the man of God, uh, the man, the almighty, the Lord, all of those, I believe it was Jesus walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. I think that is the physical presence on earth before Jesus comes and is born in a manger. It's a theophany. It's a picture of Jesus before he actually comes because he is, a, he is an eternal being. There's no beginning. There's no end. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He is the man. This was the first wrestling match again recorded in history. You can say this was touched by an angel. You can say this was punched by an angel. However you want to describe it, that's what happened. But I want you to remember, Jacob did not start the fight. He's minding his own business, and he gets jumped. That's what happens here. Think about it. He gets mugged in the middle of nowhere. This was God bringing Jacob to the end of himself to cause him to surrender. And when God touched me, when God touches you, when he touches Jacob, what happens here? You can't run anymore. Very simple. You can't run anymore. You can't get away. You go from being a wrestler to being a rester. That's what happens when God touches you and you can't run. Do you, do you know the reason Jacob uh, spent the night alone? Anybody know? Neither do I. I don't know. I was just asking. I just thought maybe some of you knew. 
why he went by himself. I have some ideas about why he did. I, um, if I were to guess, uh, you know, one of the first things I'd think about is practical. Guy needed to sleep, right? Just get one night's sleep, please. Laban's been chasing me. Esau's chasing me. People are asking me all kind of questions about how we're going to get out of this mess. I don't know what to say to him, so I'm just going out there by the Jabbok, and I'm taking a nap, he thought. He thought he was going to take a nap. He thought that's what's going to happen. He didn't get a good night's sleep because he was tossed and he was turned all night long. All night long. He's wrestling. I know when my knee happened and I tore my knee up and, 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 and I remember when it happened and I, I just fell down and I didn't even know what happened. I didn't even know where it was from. I was looking around. I was feeling my leg for blood because I thought maybe somebody shot me or something. I didn't know. And I'm laying down. I'm going like this, and my buddies are looking at me. And they, what are you looking at? I said, where's the blood? They said, there's no blood. Later, my friend came to me who is not a believer. He came to me in the hospital, and he said, I saw someone touch you. I heard someone touch you. He was afraid to say it because it sounded really kooky. He said, Ron, I saw a man touch me. Thought, thanks a lot, God. You know? But it was a, he saw it. He saw this thing happen, and I laid in the hospital bed on my second go around because it just took a little while. Second time around, by the way, is more painful than the first time around. Just a note. To the wise. I could not overcome. I couldn't run anymore. I couldn't. I laid in a bed at two in the morning. Flinging that thing that you can pull yourself up on. Because the pain was so great. I just kept banging it against the, the top. And I could do one thing. One thing. Surrender. My options were gone. And so I surrendered. But I didn't surrender without asking for a blessing. You know what? If I'm going to go through that much pain, God, you better bless me. And that's what I felt. I thought, I'm holding on. I'm holding on until I get a blessing. And I remember the Lord says, I will bless you. I will bless you. And there were personal things that were spoken to me at that time. But listen, can I say this? If you ever go through hardship, if you're ever going through a difficult thing, Please don't waste it and not ask for a blessing. Ask for a blessing. You can do it. You're a son. You're a daughter. You can ask him, God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. So whatever it is you're going through right now, hold on and wait for the blessing. And then the scripture says from that day forward, uh, you could always <laughs> distinguish Jacob. You could distinguish him in a crowd because everyone else walked normal and he was the only one who limped. Because he wrestled with God. Why the hip again? Because he couldn't run if it was the hip. What sets you apart? I mean, I have to ask that question. What sets you apart? Maybe it's not a limp. But when we are people of God, when we have been touched by God, when we've been redeemed by God, there should be something in our lives that makes a difference. That when people look at us and they say, wow, there's something different in you, they can't even articulate it. But they can say, I saw someone come up and touch your, your life. I saw someone touch your knee. I saw it. And from that point on, you were different. What happened? What is your limp? We need limps. I, I don't trust people who don't limp. 
I trust people who limp because I know they've wrestled with God. That's serious. What sets you apart, friends? Because we need to be set apart from the world we're in. Oftentimes we look too much like the world. And what we believe and what we say is just like what everyone else believes and what they say. It doesn't distinguish us. It doesn't set us apart. And the Lord says, you will be called peculiar people. Sorry. Peculiar isn't always a good label, but it means this. That when people are looking at you in a crowd, they see that you limp. They know there's something different about you because of your brokenness and your redemption. Because of your scars and your redemption. Because of your limp and your redemption. They know there's something different because you were touched by God. God changes his name there. God does that when he he messes with you. Changes his name from Jacob to Israel. You've struggled with God and man in verse 28 here. Israel simply means this. The best translation of what it means is this. One who fights victoriously alongside of God. One who fights victoriously alongside of God. Let us be different. Not not in a way that's kooky or weird or anything like that. But be different because we've been touched by God. And someone says, I I just see that in your life. I see that you've been that you've been touched. He wrestled and he ran no more. We surrender. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your time with us here and that you invest in us, you speak to us, you teach us, and we, we learn from you. And I just thank you for that, Lord, that you would continue to bless and that you would continue to keep us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.